Hi, this is John Chilson. Welcome to episode two of Built Blocks, the podcast about cities, architecture, buildings, the built environment, and everything in between. In this episode, we're speaking with Aaron Holm. Aaron is the CEO of Blockable, a new company that manufactures modular buildings described as, quote, high-performance modular building assemblies that are easily customizable with technology and energy efficiency built in, end quote. Modular building has come a long way. In this episode, Aaron talks about the evolution of modular architecture, cities and urbanism, and his music. In fact, that's one of his tracks you're hearing right now. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. It's great to, great to be with you. Great. Um, let's start off um, having you explain what, what Blockable is and maybe what it isn't and um, you know, what the mission and the vision of Blockable is. Sure. I mean, Blockable, uh, blockable are basically um, smart, connected, energy-efficient buildings. Um, and we want to sort of make it so that anybody can design and build entire communities. And so what they are is uh, basically a language of building structures with technology built in um, that allow people to sort of build, um, you know, build communities uh, and sort of bring people together, uh, both from a physical and a digital standpoint. So what they're not is they're not they're not sort of traditional, uh, traditional homes or traditional construction. Uh, we're built these in a factory and then deliver them on trucks and then they can sort of snap together on site like uh, like Lego. So that's the vision. The vision is really to make it so that anybody could design and build and sustain a community. And so the uh, the tools that we're bringing forward to do that are really these these modular buildings um, that can be sort of configured and, and built uh, so that people can build communities. Yeah, what, what really intrigued me about it was... Um um, the you know the communities part, uh, you know when I think of modular building, I think I think mostly um, of, of of a you know single family home. Can you talk a little bit more about the the community aspect of it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> that was kind of the the part that was really interesting to us, and also was I think you know where the biggest need um, seemed to be coming. I think you have you know modular building is an interesting interesting point because it's been around for a while. Uh, and it's made, you know, it's made some great sort of uh, advances into, you know, single family homes and then also to larger, uh, larger buildings. But, you know, I think partially because of, you know, the background of our team and how we look at things, but then also partially because what seemed to be needed, you know, we really, we really wanted to build something that was, um, that was flexible and that could be imagined uh, and built into all kinds of different communities, whether they're, you know, residential or multifamily or mixed use or, commercial or student or, you know, retirement, I mean, all, all types of, all types of uh, housing scenarios. And, and what we thought was particularly interesting was just this idea that you could, uh, you could provide a, a sort of plug and play building that could then, you know, be opened up to form larger spaces and stacked on top of each other. And, um, and that they're all kind of built around this software that understands, you know, what's going on in the building. And that we can sort of continue to learn uh, about, you know, how they're being used and, and, and how we can make them better. So I think that what we're really doing is taking a, a sort of product development and design approach 
um, to uh, to the problem of building, uh, you know, of, of making buildings. Well, that sounds cool. So it's it's it kind of goes beyond modular. So you're able to 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 monitor the buildings their their energy use. Yeah, energy use. I mean, they're kind of think of it like they're built they're built from the from the computer out. So you know, we have a lot of sensors and a lot of um, we have our sort of compute module that that's inside the unit that controls basic things like temperature and security and lighting, but can also be extended. You can add to it and add additional components. And we also want to. You know, we want to be able to to continuously improve that software and make it more useful. Um, and so, in the in the single, you know, in the occupant sense, that means you know, adding more features that that make the the house just sort of easier to to occupy and easier to use. But then also connecting communities with uh, with services, because I think that you know the the notion that um, you know physical physical place matters. And that, you know, the place, you know, no two places are identical. And, and what, what makes for a living sort of vibrant community um, is, is, is important. And I, don't, I just don't think many people have, have addressed that in the physical, physical sense. So because we're building these, you know, from the sort of computer out and they're, they're networked, it sort of gives us the, the ability to, to think about, you know, what kind of services can be provided into these communities and, what kind of purchasing power do these communities have, and how do they how do they integrate with you know the smart cities and smart transportation systems of the future? I think in many ways housing and construction is uh, lagging pretty far behind other industries in terms of thinking about you know why does technology matter and and how can technology be helpful in um, in improving in improving people's lives? Yeah, I mean, you brought up a good point. I mean, uh, one, one of the questions I had was, how does it, you know, fit in with the new urbanism or, you know, the the regrowth of cities? So, so as as a developer, um, theoretically, I could I could I could plan maybe not a whole community, but um, you know, maybe a square block of of uh, maybe bottom is retail, top is you know maybe the couple top floors is is um, you know multifamily or or you know. Um, living spaces um is this something that a, i don't want to say plug and play but is this something that a developer can instead of kind of going the usual route of you know hiring an architect hiring this person hiring that person they can they can kind of cut through that and and, and use something like blockable for their community yeah that's that's exactly it so you sort of you can you can bypass huge um sort of steps in the process and also you know save a ton of time so you, know, you can bring bring something online much faster and also, and also, so that it's it's um, adaptive, and so that you know the configuration can change uh, over time. Where it might be that you know for a period of time, a certain configuration is really useful and makes total sense in the area. But you know, it's, I think it's really important that our, our sort of communities are adaptive and they're they're able to change both physically and and technically over time. Um, so that's that's another part of. It. I think you know what we're what we're really seeing and what we're really focused on. Is you know I think what we want our product to do is to be able to to give developers a really a different set of options and and sort of um, you know could think about the communities that they're building in a bit of a different way because they're not necessarily constrained by the sort of architecture and construction process. So it doesn't work for all projects. There's a lot of projects where um, you know they, they want to build something that's perhaps you know, higher or, or very specific or, 
you know, there's there's use cases where, you know, blockable wouldn't make sense. But for a lot of use cases, um, it makes a lot of sense, and it helps. It, it sort of lets the developer um, sort of imagine the community, and then bring together. The other important part of it is the other pieces that'll come together. So blockable is one piece, um, but we're also you know partnering with folks who make you know, fabricated stairway systems and, and deck systems and railings. And there's this whole new sort of ecosystem of, um, you know, 3D printed and additive manufacturing and fabricated components that snap together. So, um, you know, you can really build some uh, some amazing stuff. And I think, you know, what we're what's really interesting is just focusing in on the developers and and figuring out how we can provide value, how we can deliver how we can make, um, give them the opportunity to sort of, uh, to, to, to come up with new business models or to come up with new uh, designs and formats that they can kind of roll out in multiple locations really quickly. I think it sort of, it changes a lot of the, um, the economics of how quickly they can build. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen projects, um, you know, here, here in downtown Portland and, you know, downtown Seattle, you know, it, they seem to take forever. I mean, I know it's not forever. It's usually two years, which is still pretty, pretty powerful, but you know, you have to, um, you know, dig, dig a huge hole, then you have to put the foundation. And then, you, I mean, it seems, seems something like this would, would help maybe accelerate some of the growth in, in, in cities. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where we're, we're certainly focused in being in urban areas. And there's some areas where it doesn't, you know, like, I don't think we spend a lot of time uh, looking at, you know, the downtown core as much just because, um, you know, it's, it's generally built out a lot higher, uh, and, and just has different, different needs. But if you look at the areas outside the core, uh, that's where a lot of new, a lot of new types of communities are, are being built. That's where a lot of new people, people are moving there. Uh, and they, they want, you know, people want to be in communities. They want to live together. They want to live and buy from each other. Uh, you know, they want to, they want to do, they want to do business. They want to, um, they want to be close to the, the, the sort of where they work. I mean, this is what people prefer. Uh, it, it hasn't always worked out that way. And, 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 you know, we kind of built the, the burbs out pretty far. And I think that's what happened in the last, uh, in, you know, 2008, you know, I think what happened in the States was something that happened in Europe a long time ago, which is that the outer boundaries of cities sort of became defined. Right. And you said, you know, we're not really going to build much further than this. And people built out the suburbs. And then that whole area from the outer suburbs all the way into the core, I think it's just going to be there's going to be a lot of a lot of change and a lot of innovation. You know, they're running new transit lines, you know, patterns of where people work and live is changing, um, you know, sort of demographic patterns are changing. And and I think one thing that's constant is, you know, the rate of change is continuing to increase. And so I don't think that cities are going to become, are, are going to slow down in terms of how much they change. And I think that it's kind of incumbent on people who are building solutions uh, for the industry to, to sort of take that into, into account. You know, mod modular housing, modular buildings in general, I mean, have, have they evolved? I remember the first, well, it wasn't probably the first generation, right around 10 years ago when I was writing about buildings, I remember seeing some of them thinking, that looks modular. You know, it didn't, it did, it, it just, it didn't have a warm feeling to it. It was more very boxy. And what I noticed about blockable, you know, the first thing that caught my eye was like, Oh, this is aesthetically pleasing. This looks kind of cool. Um, what kind of, 
what kind of design went into 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 designing Blockable? And what I mean by design is the you know the outer design, and and is that customizable? Yeah, it was a, it was an important part of the. It's an important design principle for us as a company. One is uh, to make Blockables just sort of beautiful and aesthetically pleasing on their own, but then also to make them completely customizable and to to build that in as a language so that folks can do all kinds of customized cladding and really so that they can integrate into uh, local environments. Because I think, you know, where Blockable can be successful is if, you know, if they, if they can, if people can really take them and do amazing things and make them look, you know, nothing like an original Blockable unit might look. So you kind of have this, I love, I love the, um, uh, I love the two sides of it where on their own, you know, they're very pleasing and, and also that that we really, it's it's just really exciting when you build something and then uh, people take it in directions that you never you never thought of. That's always to me is like a really rewarding part of of building anything. And I think the other thing is just as a company we have we have a real you know we place a high high value on design and design in a very like our design sensibilities come out of you know architectural and industrial design. Um, and so there's a, you know, the thing that thing that's been really interesting so far has been the product development process and really looking at every single, the purpose and function and design of every single element, um, and every single system and thinking of them in terms of systems. So, you know, windows and and doors and, and roof systems and connection systems, you know, all of it together. If you think of, if you think of them all together, in terms of design, uh, it gives you um, sort of an opportunity to come up with something new, which is which is what we're going to do. So let, let's step back a little bit um, in, in in how Blockable, you know, was born, came to be. The website was was pretty interesting. How you um, met with some um, investor folks, and why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and, and maybe about your background? I know you kind of come from a, a, a more of a, a, of a tech background. How did you make that jump from tech into modular housing, you know, vis-a-vis urban design and urbanism? It seems like an interesting path. Yeah. You know, I think I can answer part of it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think also that I don't like, I, I do see uh, blockable as, as tech. And so even though like it is, it's kind of boundary busting a little bit, um, but it's like, you know, it's like saying that um, before mobile phones, there were phones, right? Like, I think, you know, it just needs change. And and I really look at Blockable like a product. And I look at it like, you know, when you're making a product. So my, my background in technology is specifically around product. And there's a big difference in tech between, you know, doing custom, you know, building custom technology, custom software, and then doing products. They're just a very different process. When you do something that's custom, you know, it's it's just you know you're 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 tailoring it to a very specific customer, and that that specific customer is you know unlike you know a lot of other customers, and that's the purpose. The reason that they need something custom is because their needs are different. Versus a product is something that you build, assuming that you're going to make a lot of the choices, so that you've made the right choices on behalf of the customer, and then that product's going to be useful by a wide range of people, and so you build this this product that has has made all the right decisions, um, and so from a, you know, coming from the tech background is really coming from a product background, um, and and the genesis of it was really, you know, just kind of an idea that I I couldn't shake, 
you know, it was, I, I was, I became really fascinated. I've worked a lot on technology standards over the years and, you know, the one that I thought was always amazing was the intermodal standard just because it was so widely adopted and, and had such huge global implications. Like, you know, because of the intermodal standard it was really one of the real reasons that globalization happened at all because, you know, because these things could be moved around and it sort of enabled commerce. And then I saw people, you know, saw people building with containers and I just, you know, I just couldn't shake it. I just looked at it and looked at it. I thought it was fascinating, but I also thought that it was really limited. Like I thought that it had limited use because it was hard and because they weren't the right materials. And so I looked at, you know, you have these containers and they're really, they're really cool and it's cool to do projects out of them, but the aesthetics are pretty brutal and, and divisive. Uh, and then it's really, you can't get them um, to where you want to get them in terms of energy efficiency and, and, uh, and, and having all the, all the systems function. And so I just thought, you know, so one, one of the, one of the uh, things I did in the tech world is I worked at Amazon. I worked on the build out of their first uh, physical retail store in Seattle. And, and so, uh, you know, working on that project, you're just looking at, um, you know, building out in different locations and, how many buildouts can we do and how long will it take? Um, and it just was obvious that, you know, the construction process itself is just very like, it's really slow and antiquated in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, you know, we're building, so I was building some hardware for the store. We built the point of sale system and built the price check engines and, you know, had to, had to work with, uh, worked with the guys actually co-founder of Blockable to, to get them done. And when I was doing that project, I just really saw that there was this incredible convergence happening, right? You had, on the one side, you had, you know, just these huge, the huge change in demographics and in how people were, were, were living, right? People building with containers, people building micro apartments. It was just all over the place. People, tiny homes, they were just doing all these experiments. And so, you know, people were really willing to experiment with, with co-working and, and, and co-living and you know, uh, WeWorks and, and Airbnbs, it was just all over the place. At the same time, you had this container phenomenon, which to me just represented inventory, like containers, you can just buy them. And you, so you can buy them and you can put them on site. And what that does is bypasses a huge part of the process. It bypasses most of the architecture and construction process. And you don't end up with, you know, a great result, but you end up with, you know, kind of a, a box that if you, if you do a bunch of work on it, you can get it to the point where it's livable. And then the other, the third one was um, just the incredible materials that are coming online. So these amazing uh, materials that you can work with now that are really smart and you know really energy efficient and flexible and themselves can be pieced together. So to me, it just seemed like there was a perfect moment for someone to build a product, and a product in the real sense where you know it's it's a product that can be that can be used to to sort of piece together different ways of living. Uh, and that could be everything from uh, from you know retail to mixed use to to things that move around and, and sort of uh, you know provide really rapid uh, build out of housing, you know migration, uh, just all these all these problems that are out there. And so this was basically a year ago, and I just you know there was in my head I just could not shake the format of the container, the idea that it can be delivered on a truck and it shows up, and then you can you can like work with it and make buildings and they were kind of hacked together. But as soon as you see that, you're like, oh, wow, well, that's really just a foundation. And 
what if we built a product that took advantage of all the positive attributes of containers, but made them beautiful and made them smart and like really made them energy efficient and made them like a network where you can plug these things together and they're talking to each other. I mean, that's really, that to me seems like the future of where, uh, where community building should go. So, so let, we're going to change gears pretty dramatically here um, and talk about your music. So, um, you know, as I was researching Blockable and Googling your name and stalking you, um, I discovered that you're a musician. And to me, to me, that, that, uh, I don't know, adds, adds a layer of, intri- of intrigue to, to the, the Blockable and to your background. Can you talk a little bit about your, uh, your music background and, and how and if that relates to what you do in your, you know, during your day job? Yeah. I mean, I think they must, I think a lot of it just comes from, you know, you just end up with life experiences and they drive you to have a certain, uh, sensibility and, and, uh, point of view. You know, I started, um, I started making music. I used to, one of the, one of the old jobs I had is I was a, a sound engineer at a, a cartoon studio. So I worked on cartoons like uh, Babar and Care Bears and the never ending story. I know them all. And so I worked, <laughs> yeah. And so I worked with a lot of neat, neat people. I mean, people who work in, in the sound department at animation studios are a neat group of folks. And, um, you know, one year I was, I was just finishing, finishing off a, a contract and I was saving up my money and I was going to go take a trip. I took a trip around the world. I took six months and I just, you know, I had a one-way ticket to Bangkok and then I just went from there and I spent three months in, I spent a month in Laos and a month in Vietnam and a month in Turkey. And I just kind of made my way around the world. And before I left, one of the guys I worked with made me a bunch of tapes and he just made me these, this like really wild collection of ambient music tapes, folks like, you know, Future Sound of London and Shinjuku Thief and Scorn and all these kind of obscure ambient musicians and I, I don't know, man, it's just like when I was when I was on the back of a truck somewhere in Southeast Asia and I had this music, it just made sense to me. And I also would record things. So I would record I would record as I just because of my sound engineering background, I would I would record um, things that I thought were interesting and I would just be somewhere and a sound would strike me and I would start to record it. And it just became part of how I traveled in terms of taking a lot of pictures, but also recording sounds and then from there, over the years, I started to work some of these sounds into the music that I was making. Um, and I think that it's just, it, I don't know, it's just, um, there's, there's probably a certain amount of just the way that I walk through the world, which is just, you know, looking and observing and, and listening. Um, and, and I think, you know, Brian, you know, had a great comment, which is, you know, he makes music that he wishes uh, existed, right? And, and it's, it's similar to, I guess it's similar to how I've, you know, the music that I make, it just makes sense to me and, and it's what I want to express. And I think Blockable is related to that. I think it just, like, it's something that I would love to see in the world. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough in my career to have built a, a few businesses and to have worked with some really amazing people and to have learned how to take concepts uh, into reality. And so I look at it and say, well, you know, what would be what would be cooler than um, than than really making a concept like blockable widespread and think about the impact. And part of that was, uh, you know, I guess part of it. too. I've traveled a lot. I've traveled to I spent a lot of time in Asia and I've, I've been to Pakistan and India and Indonesia and Brazil and all these places and, and sort of see how 
you know, see some of the pressures and, um, you know, see what, see what urban means in different contexts, like, you know, cities like Karachi or, you know, Jakarta or places that are, you know, they have, you know, they have challenges like real, real urban challenges. And one of the, one of the things that got us going at the very beginning of Blockable was just looking at uh, how huge the housing crisis was going to be. And so, you know, McKinsey did a report that said that by 2025, a third of the urban population of the, of the world is going to be in a housing crisis. They're going to be uh, in un, un, um, unsuitable housing. And that's, that's 1.6, you know, billion people. And I just look at the systems that are involved and think, you know, there has to be, there has to be a lot, a lot of innovation. It's not just going to be one idea. There has to be a whole bunch of innovation that's going to create uh, anything that's even, even approaches a, a meaningful solution to that problem. And so when we first started working on Blockable, we really took the approach that, you know, what would it take to make a company that could make 150, 250,000 units a year? Like, how do you get there? And that was our, our sort of plan from the beginning is if you're going to, if you're going to build something that can make an impact, you know, you're going to have to create a really powerful manufacturing process and you're going to have to um, drive down your price per square foot. And, and it's not really possible to do that in site-built construction. You're just at the whims of the market and at the whims of, um, you know, the swings in the market and labor. And it's, it's a sort of fixed model. It's very difficult to, 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 to create any economies of scale uh, and to apply manufacturing benefits to it. And, you know, I looked at this one chart, and I'm kind of going all over the place here, but I, I looked at this one chart that, that showed that in the last 20 years, manufacturing productivity had doubled and site-built construction had been completely flat. And so I think part of it's just, you know, um, I probably have uh, a bit of a head for seeing things that aren't there and being comfortable with that. And then, you know, and then making, uh, filling the empty space. And sometimes that's music and sometimes that's technology. That's a great answer. Um, and, and I, I agree. I mean, I think music and architecture do go hand in hand, regardless of what Frank Zappa says. <laughs> um, so I have to ask you for our last question. Um, it's a top five question, kind of cliche, but do you have a you know, top five favorite works of architecture, especially in all your travels? Any five, any five pieces of architecture really stand out for you? Yeah, for very different reasons. Um, I mean, so I, when I was a kid, I lived near Habitat in Montreal. So the Habitat, um, the, um, um, the structure that was built is a modular structure, concrete modular structure that was built for the 67. Um, and so I used to live near there. And when I was, a, when I was a kid, but it was like, at that time it was, it was desolate. There was nothing around there because, um, that whole area just after the Olympics had become like a ghost town. Um, but now it's like the coolest place to be in Montreal. But I always thought, even when I was a kid, I just thought, you know, it's one of those buildings you look at, you're like, what's that? You know, you, you know, you didn't think that if you're, and I was like five, right? So when you look at when you look at buildings, you don't always say, "Wow, what's that?" But I did when I looked at Habitat. I first, it just captured my imagination, and I don't think it's because it's beautiful. I just think it's because it's interesting, right? And then, and then, so now it's like one of the coolest places to live in Montreal, apparently. And I always liked I, I like the Pompidou Center in uh, Paris just because it's exposed systems. So it's basically like um, it, it's it's sort of like uh, naked architecture, right? Where you just have 
most of the systems are exposed, which I which I just think is kind of neat. And you can, you know, you take an escalator right through the system, and you can walk by it, and you can kind of see all the stuff that comes together to make a building function. Um, so I like I like um, those are the two that sort of jump out at me. Nice, nice. Um, any anything close close to your home when you walk out your door and you see and you're like, ah, that's that's a nice piece of you know that's a nice piece of piece of architecture. Anything nearby? You know, I'm a sucker for I'm a sucker for the the Portland um, the sort of industrial Portland downtown uh, railway port like the old the old iron um, all the old sort of rail structures. I'm I'm just a, I just think it's um, um, I just it just seems like such a clear identity to me. Like can you look at Portland and you can see you can see the city's history a little bit, you know, when you look at, um, you know, how the city came up, I think that's kind of gone a little bit from Seattle. It's difficult to see that as much, but I do like, um, it's maybe kind of bizarre answer, but I do like, you know, down, I love the port in Seattle just because it's, um, it's just such an automated world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The whole, the whole port down in Seattle. Like I think there's, I have this theory that there's basically, you know, the world is kind of, uh, eventually going to be divided into three zones, right? You'll have the zone that people are in doing whatever people do. And then you'll have the automated zone, which is where it's all robots and automation, you know, delivering things and moving stuff around, um, sea channels, air channels, rail, you know, autonomous vehicles, all that stuff. And then you'll have nature, which, you know, we may or may not be allowed to visit <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in, in long-term ways just because, you know, we need to preserve the lungs. So, I mean, but I, I think down, like down in Seattle, it's interesting because Seattle's just going all over the place right now. It's just growing so fast. And I've been, I, like, I've lived in, you know, I grew up in Toronto, and I lived in Miami, and I lived in New York, and I've been in Seattle since 2012. And uh, it's interesting. I've just, for whatever reason, I've always kind of lived in transforming cities. Uh, you know, I lived in Miami when it kind of went from being a sleepy place to being this sort of, you know, Art Basel kind of place. And then in New York. You know, I lived in Brooklyn when when Brooklyn sort of went through its whole renaissance, and then since 2012, Seattle's just been um, in a very different way. It's just been growing so fast that sometimes it's hard, or you don't. It's not so obvious um, to see the the old roots of of Seattle and kind of where it came from. Um, but I do see it a little bit in the port. Yeah, you kind of still see the old, the old, yeah, the same with same with Portland's central east side district. We've got the warehouses there, and for for now, they're still there. Um, yeah, well, actually, one of my, I'll tell you, one of my favorite places in Seattle is the Panama Hotel, which is in the uh, International District, and it's this old uh, wood hotel um, that is still a great place to get a coffee and have a meeting. Um, but I, I love. I actually really like the international district and I like parts of the central district in Seattle just because, um, you know, there's still, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, different types of people living and working together. It's very, it's very, uh, pluralistic. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I appreciate you talking about blockable and, um, some of your favorite architecture and, and, and your music. Um, good, good luck to you. Thank you very much. It was cool. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you want more information on Blockable, visit their website at blockable.com. That's Blockable without the C. 
For more of Aaron's music, check out soundcloud.com slash Aaron Holm, A-A-R-O-N-H-O-L-M. Also, visit BuiltBlocks.com for show notes, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening. See you next time.